All right, welcome back to the Few Show, everybody. My name is Bud. I am an account executive here at Xfusion.io and co-host of the Few Show. I am excited to be joined today by my guest, Miguel Linera. Miguel is the CEO and co-founder of Arix, a company with a vision to power the best real estate investments, leveraging data networks, networking effects. Due to his work in applying technology for the real estate sector, he has been awarded and featured by institutions like Forbes, Collier's, Techstars, CBRE, and the European Commission. He's also actively involved as a speaker and networking and, and working closely with institutions like Fibri, the Foundation for International Blockchain and Real Estate Expertise, uh, as regional co-chair. Miguel, it's awesome to have you on the show. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, you are more than just a real estate guy, so uh, it's awesome to have you. Let's get into this thing. Thank you so much, Bud. It's also a pleasure for me to be to be on the show. Awesome. Hey, we uh, we like I said, we have a lot to talk about, but we'll get right into Eric's and what this is about, and then, like I said, we'll we'll get into all the other stuff here in just a little bit. So go ahead and tell uh, me and the viewers what Eric's is about, and uh, we'll spend the first few minutes on this. Yeah. So let's say like we started Rx in the beginning with the vision to uh, be able to digitize the uh, transactions at the, at the retail level. So basically uh, to be able to democratize the access to real estate investment. Uh, the more that we worked on, on this idea, the more that we saw that this was also a need that we could fill at an institutional level. And so after working for, for the first years in, in Spain, uh, then we got selected to be accelerated by Colliers and Techstars International, uh, what made us move to, to Canada, where we are at the moment and where the, the company is based. Uh, and basically, what we're doing right now is to focus on uh, the institutional investors that need a better way to uh, capture data, uh, analyze that data, and extract smart insights from all this information that they capture. And then also, uh, one of our biggest hypotheses is that uh, the real estate industry and the, the market is going to be um, more connected than ever in the upcoming years. And so what we're trying to, to create or to generate is what you mentioned in the description, this uh, data network effects. So basically how all the different players that uh, participate or collaborate in different large transactions, how these people can share information so that everybody, everybody wins. While at this point it's more a matter of my biggest competitive advantage is what I have that you don't have. Uh, we're trying to reverse that so that basically all different parties are incentivized to cooperate. Nice. So you mentioned there uh, you have products so that everybody wins, right? So on your website, you, you have two basic products, right? Simple deals, simple properties. Um, from what I can gather, tell me if I'm wrong, but from what I can gather, it seems to me simple deals is is that more for people that are are looking for real estate properties and then simple properties is is more for people that deal in selling properties is that correct so is so that, that is that what you're saying for everybody wins yeah no so at this moment it's more focused on an institutional level in the sense that okay. the, the investment or the acceleration uh, received from from colliers uh, helped us start working with institutions uh, in the sector. So Simple Deals in the beginning was conceived as a collaborative solution to speed up the way in which large corporations did uh, different kinds of processes but related to transactions. 
So imagine that this could be the uh, sale of a large office building. Uh, this could be a, a sale and leaseback. This could be a financing uh, deal within a large bank. So and during all those processes, it's not only the large broker that is connected or the consultant that is connected to the tool and using the tool as a end user, let's say, or as a primary user, but it's all the different parties that have to participate. So uh, the seller, that normally it's also a large institution, uh, the buyer, the, the lawyers, the auditors, where there's the case that there's auditors, uh, whatever other kind of player that it's involved in the, in the process, what we're doing is to simplify the collaboration between the different parts. So that's also a reason why it's called simple deals, to simplify the process and the collaboration in different deals. Okay. Then in the, in the part of simple properties, what we uh, this was a, a spin-off from the uh, from the actual for the, for, from the first product that was simple deals, and that's more for uh, managing large portfolios. Our uh, successful cases are in the space of the um, um, valuation and, and appraisals uh, for large portfolios with uh, large uh, owners of real estate. Uh, but more and more, we're trying to also take this to uh, residential and to other uh, use cases. At this point, we also have one, one other platform that is not on the, on the website that is called Simple Network, always around this uh, simple concept. And that uh, basically is for uh, commercialization of a real estate that is owned by banks at a retail level. Uh, this one is just used in, in Spain at the moment, but uh, we know that there is uh, the need in, in other countries. So uh, if we find uh, the right players, we'll definitely try to export this solution to other geographies. Nice. So after interviewing several, several founders and CEOs, I've, I've come across, you know, a, a general census, right? Where people find a problem and they want to fix it. Is that what you did here? Like, did you try and get into real estate and say, man, this is just so messed up that we need to fix it? Is that, is that why you created this? Or what made you create this solution to a problem? So the thing is that when we started this business, uh, neither me or my co-founder had any experience in the sector. Uh, we met in, in London while working in, a, in an investment bank. Uh, and basically what we were seeing is that... Uh, in the beginning, blockchain technology, concretely blockchain technology, could help to provide um, transparency and also to make more efficient the, how, the, how people could invest in the industry. I mean, many people discuss about this, but it's uh, commonly or like widely known right now uh, what is uh, called tokenization. So we wanted uh, basically mm -hmm. to tokenize assets, to divide the value of the assets, and so that people could co-invest in having a house. So like in some sense, they had that... Uh, empowering people with few resources to be able to live in a house that they don't fully own, uh, not not by a mortgage, but actually but by having uh, actual ownership on the on the asset. But also like take this to uh, co-owning an office building in New York, and so that you could get dividends out of this. The thing with and that's also the I mean with this idea in mind, we presented it to a to a challenge or like to a competition that is called the PropTech Challenge, organized by the largest broker in the world, that is CBRE. And we saw, I mean, we won that competition in Europe. And then we said, like, man, I mean, we don't have any idea or any experience in the sector. But, I mean, if these guys validate our idea, it's because probably it makes sense. The biggest problem with this is that uh, how the assets are transacted and how the property is transferred 
differs a lot from country to country. I'm not even saying like a civil law against common law, but even within different countries in, in civil law and of course in, in common law too, it, it's completely different. So trying to build a business on top of that idea was uh, impossible. Uh, I mean, we could start working and pouring money into it, so to try uh, to develop a, a solution and to what it could be. But the reality is that the transfer of ownership could never be done without the support of the public institutions. Some other projects in the, and, and then that's also the reason why uh, we pivoted more to say, okay, if what we want to digitize is the transaction, uh, let's start with just how people transact or how people cooperate to transact or collaborate to transact. Because it doesn't matter if you're selling an apartment or if you're selling an office, the biggest office building in the US, uh, there's always a number of different stakeholders that have to participate. We had the, the opportunity to start doing this at an institutional level. And so what we're trying to do with, uh, right now, for example, with the, with the platform that I was mentioning, uh, Simple Network, is to try to bring this all this methodology and all this knowledge that we accumulated in the past years to the retail level. So that the experience between the owners uh, of the assets, the brokers, and then the, the end user is, the, is as frictionless as, as possible. Huh. I find that fascinating and that you, <laughs> you jump into this without, uh, you know, having really been into, into the, the space before like that's, that's not something that you find very often. So, I mean, kudos to you. That takes that takes some uh, chutzpah there. So, um, but you you've been interested in in like fintech and and you know that area before um, going into this, obviously. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not. I guess it's not that big of a jump, but I mean, that's still. That still takes some. That still still takes some guts to get into, get into like the real estate market without without ever having been into it. Well, and the thing about it, I mean, is that we take real estate as a financial asset. So let's say like uh, our uh, hypothesis in the beginning or the discussions that we were having is that uh, real estate is the the asset class that has the most difficult process to invest. So how could it be if everybody? I mean, the, the biggest aspiration of 95% of the global population is to own a house. How it can be so difficult to invest in real estate, to actually uh, own in real estate and to have a, a flexible uh, asset, let's say a, a flexible a flexible investment. And so um, we always took it from a, from a financial perspective, but then of course uh, we discovered that uh, real estate was much more than that and that it works in a completely different way. In some cases, uh, compared to the to the financial industry. Yeah. Well, I guess that makes that makes sense. Well, what I find more fascinating is your is your trip in order to get to where you are now. Because you you didn't start off in in technology. You didn't start off in real estate. You didn't start off there. You you started off kind of your entrepreneurial jury journey in fashion if i'm not mistaken correct so you started a clothing company and and that that kind of led to i mean where you are now that now kind of explain that journey to me because mm -hmm. going from from clothing to technology to where you are now i mean that's that's quite a journey 
Yeah. So kind of explain how that happened. So, the, I mean, I'm from the, to give a, a little bit of background, I'm from a small town in the north of Spain. But by the way, it's a beautiful, beautiful region that I recommend everyone to go. The region is called Asturias. The city is called Oviedo. And, and in Oviedo, uh, when I went to school, I hated it. I, th- I thought that it was so boring. And that basically, uh, neither school nor like college uh, gave you the, or like, at least that, that this is the way I felt it. I, it didn't give me the, the, the tools that I needed in, a, in order to be able to create something that improved the world. So I knew that even if a clothing brand wasn't a big thing, because it is more a, a lifestyle business, that's something that changes the life of anyone. That was the, the perfect test for me in order to start learning how to create real things that actually had an uh, impact on, on the world and to basically well, start a business. And so the thing is that when I was 15 years old, I started with some friends, uh, a clothing brand. It was a skating clothing brand. That's a sport that I used to, to practice uh, quite a lot. Uh, that lasted for three years. Then I went to Madrid to study university. Uh, when I was in, in university, I started another clothing brand more uh, with other two hands in, in the school. Uh, and that was more uh, of a more serious project. So let's say like I learned the fundamentals while I was a teenager. Then when I was in college, I had the opportunity to uh, do another clothing brand with more experienced people that were older than me. But in the end, I, I always felt that one, uh, a lifestyle business is not what I wanted uh, because it was just, uh, I, I mean, I wasn't changing things. And the second one is that uh, it wasn't a scalable, a scalable enough. But the problem, of course, it was that I'm not a, a trained engineer. I'm a, I studied law and business. Mm-hmm. That's a, a, a very common a double degree here in, in Spain. And but I was always interested in, in the scalability that technology could have. So in my third year of university, I started um, learning more, well, actually before, uh, but it was in the third year of university that I, I started uh, giving uh, talks about blockchain technology and how it could potentially affect the, the world. Uh, from there, we created, uh, me and, and a friend of mine that was with me in this internship in, in London, uh, we created a, an association called the Blockchain Society that it was basically for putting in contact the best talent in business with the best talent in, in technology. So so with that, that was, I mean, we gave a, a couple talks and then we said like, hey guys, uh, let's just start a, a business. Uh, where do we think that we can have the most potential? And in all those different talks, there was always uh, one of the, of the parts of the, of the talk that was like uh, potential use cases. And so there was uh, energy, uh, real estate, uh, voting and governance, uh, well, many different fields. And in the end, and also because there was this link to the financial industry, we said, like, let's try with, with real estate. Uh, and that's the moment in which we presented the, the project to the, to the PropTech Challenge organized by CBRE. And after winning it, uh, this took us to where we are today. That's awesome. Did you ever think that you would end up where you are when you started, you know, making clothes? Not at all. I mean, because also in my, in my house, there was a lot of friction in the sense that my parents always wanted for me the uh, typical kind of job. And, and when you study what I was uh, saying right now that I did uh, this double degree in law and business in Spain, they mm-hmm. say that the three, three possible ways, uh, consulting, um, investment banking or law firms. So I tried the three of them. I didn't like any of those. 
And the, the, the good luck for me is that I had the opportunity to, to study uh, for some time in the United States. So I could expose to you how other people study in the States and how uh, in different colleges in the States, uh, they prepare the, the students in order to be able to, uh, by the time that you leave university, that you are prepared and you have that, that you have the tools to start creating your own life. Even if many uh, college graduates in, in the States decide to, to start working for a company, I think that the mentality and the way that people learn in the U.S. is much more practical than what we do in Spain. So there was always this, this confrontation. And of course, uh, when I decided to take the leap and, and start the business, uh, I could never uh, have imagined it uh, five years ago. Yeah. What do they say now, your parents? Are they, are they happy or are they still, yeah. is there still confrontation? So my mom, my mom always says, because before starting the business, I worked for a very short time in a consulting firm. And my mom always says every time that we have some trouble, like, uh, I wish you were in the, in the consulting firm. But I think that in, in general, they are uh, quite happy because they see Good. that uh, also in the, in the long term, it's where I can uh, give my, the most of my potential. Yeah. And, and they should see that smile on your face and be like, oh, he's, he's happy. He's in his happy spot. Um, so I, I kind of want to go back to, uh, RX and, um, talk about the business part of it a little bit. So you, you are in Toronto now is where your, where your hub is. And you've been there. It looks like since 2020, um, you started in 2018 over in, in Spain. So you've been around for a little while. Um, what is, have you found is your biggest pain point in the business so far? And is it different from moving from Spain over to Toronto? Yeah. So the, the biggest pain point at the, I mean, throughout the life of the, of the company, I would say that, uh, it has been two things. Uh, the first one is how to find a repeatable, a product that is uh, standard enough so that the, its sales process can be repeatable. Uh, in the sense that we are working in a very difficult industry in which every different company, even if they do, I mean, we could say that they do more or less the same uh, in terms of like the execution. The, the reality is that uh, at the time of putting it in practice, uh, it's completely different. And it's completely different. And also there is uh, a lot of politics involved into how of these different companies uh, work and what kind of platforms use. So that would be thing number one. I mean, try to create a, a repeatable product. Um, and the second one, I would say that is uh, the instability that's been all this uh, COVID-19 crisis. Because when we moved to Toronto and when we established the, the company in Canada, uh, we had very, uh, let's say, like positive perspectives. Uh, I mean, after the program, we were meeting uh, super interesting people in, in the country. Uh, we were flying very often to the, to the States because New York is just one, one hour and a half away from Toronto. And then when, when COVID stroke, uh, we were new to, we were the new to the party. And so it was also very easy to, to mm -hmm. forget about us. Uh, thankfully we had the, the good luck of closing uh, a couple of large accounts. Uh, and because that's also one thing, I mean, closing one of these institutional clients is a, a terrible process. I mean, it's, it's very long, have to discuss with multiple people. And even when you get to the last mile of everyone liking the product and everyone deciding that they want to use it, 
uh, it can still just like fall <laughs> because it's not the right timing because somebody in whatever team said this or because another region just uh, called them and said like, guys, I mean, maybe we shouldn't be using this. So it's uh, the, sales, the sales process, the onboarding process uh, and everything related to the product creation is very difficult. But once you get to have satisfied customers and those referrals, uh, real estate is an industry that I think, and at least from our experience so far, that appreciates that a lot. That actually, um, when you do the things well, I mean, uh, people want to help you. So, so well, I mean, yeah. Apart of the, from, apart from the instability that the, that the pandemic caused, uh, I would say that the rest has been. I mean, we're happy where we are right now after these years. Nice. Yeah. So you kind of hit on my next point. I was going to ask how COVID kind of affected that because you, you made that move kind of right at a really bad time. Um, yeah, for that, but I mean, I'm I'm glad you made those deals and (laughs) yeah, we established the company again. I was saying that we established the company in November and, uh, and COVID stroke the, I mean, at least in Spain, they closed the country the 13th of March. And we were in Toronto, so literally four months. And after that, mm-hmm. uh, we, it was just like everyone was going to need uh, software services and the use of our platforms. But then, of course, uh, things are not always suspected. So, yeah, it was a, a little mess. As we're doing our interview today, you're back in in Spain, and you're gonna you're gonna focus on Spain uh, for the time being, and then you'll you'll head back to Toronto for a little while. Um, but why? Why are you going to focus on on Spain right now um, and stay out of North America for the time being? I mean, because the, during the, the past year and a half, we've been spending more time in the EMEA region, uh, I mean, rather than, than, than in North America. We could have been in, in North America uh, because we are residents in, in Canada, but it was, for us, it was just like starting from scratch. And after going through Techstars and with the help of Colliers, uh, we had this, let's say, like a first push of being able to work with them, to meet all these people, to connect with all this industry. But after that, it was just like starting again from scratch. So at this point, uh, we would go to, to Toronto and to Canada before the end of the year. Uh, but we have to see how the, the relations that we have in, in Canada develop to, in order to, to assess and to make the numbers to understand better if it's worth it or not to invest our efforts more in North America or in EMEA. We're in a, in a very weird situation because, of course, I mean, we're a Canadian business, uh, but we relocated to Europe because of the COVID, and now uh, we're in both sides of the world with projects. So for us, I mean, we're just going to follow where the uh, most attractive projects are. So that's going to inform where we focus our efforts in the next couple of years. Nice. Yeah, that does put you in kind of a, a strange spot, but it, it's not a bad spot. I mean, it just it gives you a lot more options. Yeah. Um, I mean, so when you were in like, North... Good. <laughs> yeah. When you were in North America, were you up in Toronto, were you focusing mostly in Canada? I mean, you said you were down in, in New York a fair amount, but were you focusing mostly in Canada uh, and trying to get your feet wet in the U.S., um, or were you trying to to really saturate the U.S., or was it hard to get into the U.S. market that, at that point? What were you trying to do there, uh, or were you just trying to, you know, how how were you trying to focus on the U.S. at that point? 
So at a, at an institutional level in the real estate industry, I think that uh, Canada and the U.S. can be considered just like a, a single country or like a, a single geography okay. in terms of how how we how how people or companies sell software. And much more right now, uh, you can see that there are American VCs uh, understood as as U.S. VCs that uh, are investing in in Canadian companies. So for us. Uh, when deciding, because we realized that we wanted to uh, try to create a, a company from North America and to expand it to, to the rest of the world uh, at the time, uh, we had like three possible options. Uh, the first one that was New York, uh, the second one that was San Francisco, and the third one that, that was Toronto. And in the end, we decided to go to Toronto, uh, one, because of the, of the cost of living in the, in the city, the second one for the visas, because uh, with Donald Trump, it was uh, quite a, uh, there was quite a lot of uncertainty around if we could get the visas uh, as European or how uh, we could do it. I mean, there, there is still a lot. So, uh, but at the time, that was the, our concern. And I would say that the, um, that the third one it was that as we had colliers as, as investors in the company uh, and colliers has uh, their global headquarters in, in Toronto, it was quite attractive uh, for us to be as close to them as, as possible. And, and I mean, uh, we were very enthusiastic about uh, growing in, in Canada and unfortunately uh, COVID like stopped or like slowed down a little bit all that enthusiasm because uh, of the situation. Nice. Okay. So yeah, you answered my next question there was why Toronto instead of somewhere in the US. So that's awesome. Um, you're a fan of crypto uh, as well. Like you, you're interested in crypto. So I'm wondering how crypto kind of fits into this whole real estate thing going forward. I had a gentleman on this show uh, who is a, a crypto guy and he lives 100% on cryptocurrency, um, which just blew my mind. Uh, so going forward, how do you see crypto fitting in to the real estate market going forward. Um, it's it's got to do it somehow, I would think. Um, how do you see that all fitting in with, with RX and just the real estate market heading heading forward? Yeah, so for the moment, I mean, in my case, I have it as two completely separate things. Uh, for, uh, in one side, I'm a crypto investor, and in the other side, I, I run Alex. Uh, but let's say, like, at some point, I want to mix it more with blockchain technology rather than crypto. Uh, I know that there have been uh, projects in the in the U.S. and well, in different countries where crypto was just uh, a means of payment, so that you could buy an apartment with with Bitcoin, and then and, uh, at the time of, of selling, it was just like legally speaking, it, it wasn't that difficult. But I think that the that the uh, big difference is going to be when uh, companies uh, and also uh, well, large public institutions allow for the deployment of blockchain technology. Uh, part of that empowerment that we, economic empowerment that we discussed before, is very much related to, to blockchain and how in countries where uh, registries don't exist, how blockchain technology can help, uh, one, create this registry and second, uh, provide this legal security to people that were, uh, in some sense, isolated uh, from how the, the legal uh, and uh, the protections of the of the country worked. So, uh, and apart from that, of course, uh, that will open the door to the to the co investment that I was mentioning before. So, at a, a registry level, transparency level, and a financial level, in terms of how these people access property and how they 
can uh, co-invest or diversify their, their investments. I think that the, the blockchain technology is very, very interesting. At the crypto level, we'll see because I'm sure that uh, there will be many different projects from uh, communities uh, like large condos in, in Toronto, for example, that during the winter you just live in your condo. Uh, maybe there's a, a coin that is developed by a developer that has uh, 18 condos in the, in the country and, or, or like in the, in the city. You can just like spend the, the condo coin in the different bars in the, in the, in the city or that the, each of the different buildings has, or you can go to different gyms. But I think that's going to be more a matter of the, of the community. Um, blockchain, I think, is as, a, as the proper technology, but I think has the most potential in the, in the real estate industry, both for developed, but also for undeveloped countries. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm brand new to this whole technology thing. You know, uh, this is my first job in anything technology, and I'm really kicking myself for not getting into crypto uh, anything or blockchain anything before this. <laughs> like, I'm just learning about it, and I'm like, dang it. I wish I would have, I wish I would have learned about this several years ago and, and gotten got into this. <laughs> but, oh, well, better late than never, I guess. <laughs> Um, some of the things that you, that you find interesting and, and has really kind of shaped the way that you do things is, um, talking about the nature of taking risks. And you've done that in, in the way that you've started businesses and just kind of the way that you've lived your, lived your life. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And, and why is taking risks uh, important to you? I think that, the, I mean, I consider myself a, a quite impulsive person. And, and little by little, that's something, and as every uh, trait in the character of a person, I think that's something that you can, that you can teach. And, and part of that was, or part of this learning process, uh, was an understanding better uh, my risks. Because I know uh, uh, a lot of uh, very brave people that they are so brave that they can be even defined as crazy. Uh, and that is not uh, just like not caring about the, the, the risk, but that's in many cases been, been an idiot. Uh, and so mm -hmm. like the, when, when I discuss with many different people and they say like, oh, but you had this opportunity within this company that you had, uh, you could have done the, uh, this, this and that, where you could be making more money. Um, I always try to... Uh, show them or like uh, portray the, the analysis that I've done in my life related to the risks because it's not just a matter of uh, what I'm doing today, but it's also a matter of uh, what is what I'm doing today that will help me get where I want to get tomorrow. Even if it's a, a little tangle, that, that explanation. But uh, but for me, it's very important not only to to live it in my own life, but also to share it with, uh, with the people with whom I expect to, to work and, and also uh, the, my partners, I, and I think that more or less you always end up uh, having uh, friends and very and the people that is very close to you normally have a similar uh, tolerance to risk, or at least they understand uh, fully understand why you take risks and the way that you take them. Nice. So let, let's talk about your partners just a little bit. So you have, if if I remember right, you have three partners, correct? Uh, two or two. Do you have two partners? Uh, you had three, and you, now you have two. Um, 
so they're how, how long have you known these guys and and they they understand the risks that you take and they they trust you um and and how different are they than you mm-hmm. or so, how similar well, yeah so my two partners uh one it was uh the, the guy that I used to work with in in london uh so i know him for six years now uh, and the other one, I know him since I was like 14 years old. Uh, he is from mm-hmm. from, uh, and so I would say that one. Um, so we we are a, a, a very cool balance because one is uh, super conservative. So I always say like I push him to do things that he wouldn't do otherwise, and he stops me from doing things that I would do without thinking, or at least he makes me think twice. And then there is the the part of. <laughs> The other guy that's called Ignacio, that Ignacio just like uh, is even more impulsive than me, but he goes to places where I wouldn't go. In the sense, like um, that, I mean that that would be that would that would cover like the whole spectrum of uh, exploring as much as you can and being as analytic as you can within what you have right now on the table. Uh, and I would be like a little bit in the in the in the middle of all this all this, let's say, like combination or, or mix. So I think that we are complementary. And in terms of like the, the partners itself, uh, I think it's very important how to choose, how you choose your partners. Uh, I've had a, a couple of ugly moments uh, throughout my, my venture uh, and startup life with people that were my friends. And, and for me, a partner is not just someone that can provide value intellectually speaking, but for me, someone with whom I can do and uh, work on more projects than just what's on the table today. So with someone that I conceive and I think of uh, as people that I could be working with them in five, 10, 15 years. In some sense, it's like having a, a sentimental relationship with that. Uh, I always say it uh, to, my, to my girlfriend, like it's like having a, a corporate or like a, a business girlfriend in which you have to trust uh, this person blindly. Uh, you have to know them very well and you have to want to be with them for the uh, next uh, decade at least. Yeah. So you said, and I, I agree with you. Um, you said you have to choose them wisely and choose them carefully. Um, but what, what I've noticed is it's, it's a very good thing to have somebody that's not like you to be in business with. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you put that pretty well. Like one of them's very conservative. One of them's, very not and you're mm-hmm. kind of in the middle and that seems to work pretty well um rather than having people that are very similar to run a business um why why do you think that that is such the case you you kind of explained it but do you, do you think you can go a little bit deeper into why that that why that seems to be the case yeah i mean i think that um most of the, and also from, from people that I know that I started companies and, and things like this, um, I see at some point, uh, or in some cases, a, a little uh, condescendence, is said in English, uh, in, in the sense that people want to have as a partner somebody with whom they don't discuss or with whom they don't have any kind of friction. I think that's an error uh, because it's not a matter of friction, it's a matter of uh, one, having common incentives or like, let's like rowing in the same direction. Uh, but the second one is that uh, actually that you know that it's someone with whom you're going to disagree in order to agree. 
So like in order to row in the same direction, uh, you need to know that you are with someone that is not going to say yes to everything you say and also the way around. You need someone that is going to be critical with your work because that's the only way in which you'll be pushing the other uh, partner and, and vice versa. I mean, you'll be, you'll be constantly uh, just like uh, helping one another with that uh, positive criticism because what you want is just like the, the good of the two. So, so that's the reason why I think that the profiles have to be different. Of course, you have to be comfortable with, uh, with, uh, with your partners, but I think that people don't have to avoid the friction. They actually have to uh, find and look for the positive friction that, that having someone different uh, provides. Yeah, no, I agree. I just wanted to just have, have you put that into words. And um, I, I think it's very, very good to have difference differences, at least some differences in, in a partner uh, when starting a business. And, and that's exactly why, like you don't want two of the same people running a business cause it, it'll, it'll just not do well. You have to have some of that friction, um, to, to, to be well, um, you're a fan of, of art and travel now with, with this whole COVID thing, you're, I'm guessing your travel has not been what you wanted it to be. Um, but arts like what kind of arts do you do you like what 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 floats your boat there so the um, so well i mean talking first about travel uh the thing is that in spain we have been able to do a lot of travel and i'm very happy because nice. i discovered many different parts of spain that were known to me uh and that it was just like fascinating because i mean since i was a little child i have the opportunity of like traveling around the world and so I never really got interested in discovering, in my in the case, uh, a small village in the north of Madrid. But now that there was the only possibility, uh, I was like the most incentivized guy to just like say, okay, let's do a tour around the, at these five villages that there's this place that they have awesome food, and there's this place that they do like all this artisan stuff. And so, well, I mean, in terms of traveling, I enjoyed uh, a different kind of experience during these months. And in terms of the of the arts, I've always been a fan. I think that I'm such a fan because I'm a, a horrible artist, but I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, pretty interested in, in creative things. I mean, this same uh, afternoon, I was like uh, putting in frames uh, some things that I that I did in the past. Uh, and I would say, like, and now that we're seeing all this rise of, of NFTs and things like this, I'm a, a very big uh, fan of the uh, physical art world. Uh, more uh, specifically of uh, contemporary uh, contemporary art. So, so yeah, I mean, I am a modern art in in general. Uh, that's uh, what I what I like the most, and, and let's say like what also I'm interested on in the most. But but yeah, I find all this uh, space of the NFTs and, and technology super interesting. But I don't think that's uh, something worth investing worth investing at least at the, at the moment. I think that everything. Uh, that is related to how art is evolving in the digital space is more hype than actual value at this point. I mean, and with the exception of uh, a couple uh, special things like the CryptoPunks or, or things like that. But in general, uh, that's a space that I wouldn't get in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, this is, uh, I don't know. I, I've liked this talk. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I think we should probably go ahead and, 
and bring this thing to a, a close here pretty soon. But uh, this has been pretty enlightening for me. Um, so I will I will ask you the same two questions that I ask everybody that that, that comes onto this show, um, and that is. What advice would you give to founders or soon-to-be founders that watch this program? Mm-hmm. My advice would be, uh, well, in terms of what? Or like just a, like a general advice? Just general advice to, to founders or, or su- people that want to be founders, since you okay. are a founder. Yeah. yeah. So for people that want to be founders, I always say the same, and is that uh, openly talk about what you want to build and openly uh, assess the the pros and cons of uh, the of the venture that you want to start, and that means uh, not only understanding your own uh, circumstances, but also understanding how it can affect you different scenarios in terms of uh, how successful is what you are what you're building. Nice. And then, what is the best way for our viewers to get in touch with you if they so choose? Oh, I mean, I, I'm always available, so uh, they can get uh, in touch with me uh, through LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. Uh, I mean, they can also get access to my my email uh, if there is the I mean, if they want. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm always open to to talk uh, to try to help uh, everyone that that I can. So, so in general, I'm pretty accessible. So, I'm sure if that if there is anyone that wants to find me, uh, they will be able to do it. Awesome. Then uh, we can bring this to a close. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that it's been it's been awesome, but uh, and what's been the, the most awesome thing of this talk is that I'm sure that uh, we'll keep on, on progressing. Uh, we'll have uh, much more in-depth conversations about the, that economic empowerment that we were discussing. Yes. And, and hopefully we can do, uh, your viewers like this program, we can do many more uh, talks and, and we keep on, on growing together. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We'll definitely keep in touch for sure. All right, buddy. You have a really great day, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Same for you. Have a good day, bud.